Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Trafford, Michael Palmer, Brandon Jones with you. And we're joined once again by Brewer Saxberg, Chief Learning Officer at Kaplan Inc. Uh, building off of our learning engineering conversation from last week, Brewer, we're turning our focus to the future of work, the future of jobs uh, here in the United States and around the globe. And uh, really uh, two topics that, that work well together. And Brewer, I was just reading up on the Chronicle of Higher Education article you wrote two years ago after South by Southwest, uh, where you're discussing learning engineers and learning engineering. Uh, and one of the points you made uh, was what about work and about, you know, taxi cabs may, very soon could be autonomous drivers. And that's one of the, the focus we hear about um, AI taking over is cars. And that seems like a, a very specific industry that we know jobs are going to leave from. Uh, how do you see the connection of learning engineering uh, autonomy and uh, AI and the future of jobs all tied together like you were talking about two years ago? It's such a good question and, and it's fun because looking forward, one, you're not really responsible for whatever you say. <laughs> and two, I like that. Two, you can be totally wrong and nobody gets mad at you because nobody expects you to be right. So it's actually a lovely thing to spend some time with everybody talking about this. <laughs> uh, so and it is the case, and, and there's actually been a number of articles recently in places like the New York Times and elsewhere actually talking about this really interesting uh, juncture we're at where artificial intelligence and robotics and sort of sophisticated information-rich decision support systems are increasingly coming into all kinds of work, you know, even auto mechanics, right? You know, when I was growing up, an auto mechanic was a metal bashing thing, right? And you were, you know, listening for rattles and carburetors and, you know, pointing at things with wrenches and all this. Now, if you go into an auto repair place, it looks like a computer science laboratory. And, and guess what? Every two to three years, all the equipment is ripped out and replaced by new equipment because they have upgraded all their electronics in all the cars, right? So, and, and the auto mechanic can no longer, and it does no longer stand alone with a wrench. They're working alongside a rich array of information appliances. Mm -hmm. um, same thing is going to be true in all kinds of jobs and occupations, even some that have been considered kind of high status. So, you know, there's a, there's a classic uh, stereotype of the, the jerk surgeon, right? You know, and he's, he's hateful with humans, but has hands of gold, <laughs> sure. right? Well, guess what? The hands really are going to be gold, mm -hmm. right? It's a good material to use for surgery. Ah, surgery well, right? you're saying literally. Literally. It's wow. a robot with I, hands I, I, I was gold. ready to go metaphorical. No, 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 yeah. no. I was thinking literally here. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, Why do people you invest? The they invest for right. what's next. Now, what's a interesting dream? is it doesn't mean you don't need a surgeon. It's mm. just the nature of the role is now totally different. Mm -hmm. it, he doesn't have to have perfect hands and stillness and all that. But he may need to be very good at talking to patients mm -hmm. because that's the human value. And we'll come back to that. Right. Um, so you think about this notion of AI and robotics working alongside people. There's a really interesting uh, corollary to that that I, you know, I don't see talked about very much, which is as soon as your job is alongside one of those technology-enabled devices, mm -hmm. it means your job is going to start to change at the rate of Moore's law. Right. Right. Because semiconductors and robotic things, you know, they tend to double in their capacity, you know, every 18 months to two years. Yep. Wow. So suddenly the nature of work, mm -hmm. you, you know, the, the, the old bargain was I learned something in my early 20s. I use it all the way through to my 60s. I retire and I'm an XX, you know, whatever I was, I'm right. now an X that. Right? <laughs> sure. Sure. So 
you know, that was the social compact. That was the bargain. And you can see, you know, with politics in America and Britain and elsewhere, we've got a lot of people who feel really angry that what they thought was the deal right. is not the deal. That they worked hard to build up a set of skills in their 20s. Mm -hmm. and they were very good at it. And now uh, it's not obvious, you know, that those are the skills that are going to be taking them forward. No right. matter what happens to, you know, the industries, that the skills needed are likely to change a lot. Yeah. So when you think about this, this suddenly creates an enormous uh, uh, importance and value to being really good at changing skills mm -hmm. throughout your life. Yes. And it's for both sides, both for employers. So some employers, maybe a little cynically, they think of this problem and they think, well, look, yeah, I get it. Skills change. You know, I just let people go every five years <laughs> and I hire the new guys, right? Because the new guys get all the fresh stuff, right? right? So that's fine. And, you know, you can do that if the cycle time is five years or 10 years. But if the cycle time is two years or 18 months. Turnover is expensive. Yeah. And you, and you can't bring people up to speed on the customers or the culture or all that and then let them go in 18 months. Mm -hmm. it, it no longer makes any sense at all. Right. So you actually, for value reasons, you must become good at this. Um, and there are a number of you know new companies that are invading whether it's advertising or other traditional industries out there, you know, the social media advertising world is exploding right now. And when you look at the nature of the skills and the work that some of those new social media kind of agencies uh, are, are pursuing, they have to change their skills every six months or nine months sure. because data analytics, data sciences, the pattern recognition work, the use of AI to hunt for what's the most valuable next thing to do mm -hmm. is just accelerating. Right. And, you know, one of the fascinating things is it means you may not even need intellectual property protection. Right. Because that takes too long. It's sure. a distraction. And if somebody's going to take six months to unpack what you did, it doesn't matter because that's old. Unless our robot IP lawyers get really uh, fast. Uh, really fast. Exactly, right. I mean, exactly but, right. But, but they'll probably yeah. counterbalance the, exactly. uh, the defense and the prosecution. Exactly. I, I don't know how exactly. it works. Yeah. So, so one of the consequences, I think, of this you know, real change in all kinds of jobs you know, at the high end, at the medium scale, at the low end, is a real uh, need for highly reliable learning environments that can keep moving and changing people's skills. Because none of us, not organizations and not individuals, can afford to have failures in our skill transitions. We yep. really, really need to have reliable ways to do this. So yeah. that's one of the pieces of the future work. It reminds me of uh, Carol Dweck's uh, notion. By the way, we like to say uh, we want to. Brandon, you got this? You want to Dweck yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah. Ooh, I yeah. like that. That's yeah. very nice. Yeah. We, we'll get you some We're, merch. We have some merch. Once we got the merch. Trending, uh, trending in education merch. Come, come, your, come like, your We have to clear it through, through Carol Dweck's people just to make sure. I don't, I don't right. know that right. that's it true. It is 2017. Yeah. Regardless. <laughs> but, uh, but she likes to say, or I've heard her uh, write about the difference between a culture of expertise versus a culture of learning. Yes. And that seems to be directly relevant to what you're saying, where like if you're developing really intricate expertises, they're likely to get disrupted very quickly in the world that we're sort of moving into next, as opposed to if you establish a culture of learning, then everybody wants a new challenge. They're like, oh, okay, that's just what life is. I'm, I'm, I'm always acquiring new skills. I'm always learning new things. Yep. Yeah, and I'd actually take it even a step further, just sort of triggering off of what you just said, this notion of learning the new thing. So, uh, two, two points here. One is 
we need early on to set in kids' minds the expectation of multiple careers. Mm -hmm. So not what do you want to be when you grow up? It's what things do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be the princess neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's a beautiful thing for the Botox community. You know, (laughs) totally great, right? And, And the other part of this is that notion of learning and actually learning multiple expertise, right? So, you know, how do you remain distinctive? How, as a human being, right, as, as AI and robots begin to do more and more, mm-hmm. what are your roots to being d- distinctive? So one of them is, is actually laid out by cognitive science, which is it takes roughly 10 years of deliberate practice to become an expert. That's the, you know, mm-hmm. the Anders Ericsson work on deliberate practice and expertise, yeah. roughly, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so... We're all living to be 90 and above, right? So if you start at 20, you got five, six, maybe even seven different 10-year blocks that if we do this continuous learning thing, so that could mean, think about it, you could be adding two, three, four, five different world-class competencies. Right. So now run the numbers. Think about the combinatorics of this thing, right? You know, there's more than 100 different careers, right? So 100 times 99 times 98 times 97 you're going to end up with like 9 billion different unique combinations of five different careers. That means there is the opportunity for almost everyone to be unique, Mm -hmm. right? So imagine, you know, and and the reason to do this is because you may have a great AI lawyer. You may have a great robot gardener, Mm -hmm. right? But if you have a human being who combines in one head Mm -hmm. expertise, world-class expertise in gardening, in robots, mm-hmm. in business, right. and in law, that's the guy to start the next great robot gardening business. Sure. Because he knows how to garden, he right. knows how the robots work, he can put together a business, and he can defend against the inevitable lawsuit of cutting off somebody's head by sure. accident with the shears, right? So and that is the thing clashing together those different expertises inside one head mm-hmm. that's going to take a long time for the AI and the robots to actually uh, compete with. And we'll talk after the show about our Kickstarter hashtag. Oh, oh okay, okay. Robot, robot, robot Gardner. Robot Gardner. <laughs> we, we were talking about Robot Butler. Robot Butler, yeah, robot uh, Butler was, was the topic of right. the show, well, so it's, it's kind of in yeah. the neighborhood. No, no, I, I think we, got, we definitely clearly have a company coming up here. Robot Home <laughs> Service. Product yes. lines here. The common thing being robot. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the other the other area that you talked about, which I, I thought was fascinating just around the future of work, is that humans require other humans to make meaning. Um, can sure. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, glad to. So again, you know, trying to think through what are the ways in which people will be distinctive, right? What, and you know, the, the, the stark, horrible way to put it is, why will an organization 30 years from now need to hire people? What, what are people for? Mm-hmm. Pause to let that sit in. <laughs> Um, And, you know, one of the things, and this this isn't my idea, this was an idea from a a venture capitalist uh, entrepreneur down in Australia named Christopher Self, and and there was a discussion about this at a conference I was at, and and he came up with a really nice way of thinking about this that I, I continue to mull over to try to understand the implications. He said, something that is really hard for the machines to do, that we do so naturally, is to give each other meaning meaning to our decisions, our development, our struggles, you know, our needs, right? That, Mm -hmm. you know, all of us, uh, you know, go through stages in life, you know, our our parents get older and we're getting older, we're going to hit some barriers along the way. And it's, you know, it's different to have somebody else uh, 
who kind of understands and has been there or is going there mm-hmm. and so can talk in an honest way about this. I mean, I, my parents are older and, you know, when, when I talk with them about our past and how what I am is a large part of what they did with my brother and me accidentally or not. Right. And, you know, as often happens, and that's a meaningful in the, in the literal sense that sure it could be a robot reciting something about our past if it was tape recording us, but that's not the same as, you know, me or my brother describing how what we did when I was 11 years old had an impact on what I have become now. Mm-hmm. That's a source of wealth and, 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 and value for my parents. That's different. Right. Yeah. And we can do this with all kinds of things. Coaching, a bunch of coaching, is about giving meaning to struggle, sure. not just having the most information efficient suggestion based on your muscle type and how you just exercise. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. That's the information appliance, right? That's great. But that notion of, yeah, you're looking really tired, but think of what you're trying to do and think how great it will feel when mm-hmm. you actually accomplish this, right? That's a meaning transaction that's yes. going on there. Yeah, it's so, like the, the concept of like shared consciousness or yeah. shared experiences uh, is something that we as humans seek out. Like yeah. you, The interesting thing is more like as the robot audience matures, will there be a, a category of human who actually starts to find, you know, uh, satisfaction through robots. like robots? Like, like how do I salute my robot armies? Such you know? a good question. Well, and, and there have been, you know, there have been some fun as often, you know, science fiction looks ahead and, and can sometimes, you know, hit or miss. But there have been folks who've tried to think through, yeah, what happens? Is it the case that humans can begin to develop attachments to well enough designed machines? And what does that mean? What, what goes on with that? And, you know, this starts to be above my pay grade, you know, but, but when I think about people's value to each other, right. I do think there's something there. There's one other consequence of this, which is, so if this is a really important, one of the important ways for people to add value to organizations, mm-hmm. right? Well, then we should be thinking really early, pre-K, K and beyond, let's give our kids the skills to give meaning to each other, mm-hmm. right? Right now it's kind of like, oh yeah, you know, we should be nice, you know, let's, let's teach Broar to be nice. He's such an irritating fellow. <laughs> Or being an irritating guy. And, but now this is like, no, no, this is future. This is career. This is what you will be doing long right. term. So let's start to think more systematically about, and that's where, you know, research and, you know, try different things. Sure. How do we help little people have more empathy for each other? How do we build a set of skills that we can practice and, and become good at all through our lives mm-hmm. around doing this? And, and kind of knowing that we're doing it as opposed to, well, that's just who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an irritating guy, right? It's like, no, it's like, no, no, I'm trying not to be an irritating guy because, and I have some techniques and some medications and they're very helpful as you guys have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I, I think there's, there's a lot to think about there mm-hmm. um, when you start saying, wait a minute, what do we need to teach our little people? Because 30 years of AI and robotic development, right. running at Moore's Law, mm-hmm. I'm telling you. Those, you those know, future big people are going to need it. Yes, those future big people <laughs> yeah. are going to need it. I think that's what we should start calling children is just future, future bigs. big people. Yeah, yeah. yeah future yeah. bigs. Nice. Future bigs. Hashtag future yeah. bigs. It's a good focusing device, actually. I also was thinking while we're on the moment of levity about um, disruption to the automotive industry uh, and to, to drivers. We were talking about that before. Yeah. And whether machine learning and throwing a wrench in it 
mm. are both of those are turns of phrase that yes. like may be particularly topical for yeah. uh, for them. I like that. Yeah. I like yeah. what you did there. Thank you. Yeah. Well, the, th the thing I love about this idea of, you know, AI driven cars, you know, is imagine the future of car repair, right? So now all of a sudden, in addition to the usual skills, first of mechanics and now of the electrical computer science stuff, now you've got an artificial intelligent agent. So imagine a little sports car drives in, it's all depressed because he's got an old owner who won't drive it fast. And so the car repair mechanic has got to be skilled in the arts of persuasion and counseling about, listen, maybe you can get your <laughs> right. owner totally. to, to rent a teenager, yeah. to take you out a couple of times a week and really rev things up for you. Sure. And that way, the little sports car goes away feeling, you know, I'm not, it's not so bad. Where That's I'm good. Not, it's about right. motivation. Yes. And SEL. Suddenly, and suddenly yeah. it becomes a whole different career. <laughs> sure. It's all about advising right. the AI. Because, I mean, how, how long will it take AI to figure out how to give you uh, a big estimate and then act like they don't understand your question. I mean, right. that's going to take a lot of training. Yeah. You know? There's no question that, 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 you know, the human capacity for deception maybe. although I don't know, I wonder, is that harder or easier? Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting. I'm, I'm, interesting. I'm not sure. I mean, also, honestly, the, uh, there are interaction, everyday interactions that are at least slightly adversarial that, you know, humans kind of soften the adversarial nature. Yeah. Uh, and that's why, uh, it's not a good AI show without talking about the uncanny valley, uh, which uh, which to me is very much what we're talking about in some ways where like once the robotics get so human that they pass the Turing test, we don't notice them. But if we catch them being bad, we catch them trying to fool us. <laughs> like there's this fundamental like existential yeah. shudder that that provokes. And then very recently, this article that I shared yeah. uh, just yesterday uh, was about uh, another form of uncanny valley when humans are interacting with you in a way that almost negates their humanity. Mm -hmm. So there, and it's a similar reaction and it feels as though we're entering into an interesting era where both uncanny valleys, both sort of like dehumanized humans and creepily humanized robots are going to become more part of our everyday. Well, and similarly the, you know, the ethical issues are going to loom large mm -hmm. and you know who's at fault for a deceptive robot right you know and and of course this comes back to the car thing that people have been writing about and even a few you know tragic examples of accidents right while the ai was in charge yep and it's like okay now you know where is where's the fault what what do you do with that right because we you know in conventional pre-ai stuff you you know the driver is at fault right well, so what is the driver? Is, right. You know, is it is it the company? Is it the coders? Mm -hmm. If you licensed it in, you know, is it the car company that licensed the thing in, or is it the originator of right. the AI? And then, of course, you've got I don't know how folks do this, but now having to literally code ethical decisions right into the AI, mm -hmm. you know, and there's you know. You, you got six small right. children over here and three large people on the right, right. Uh, and a tree in the middle. Right. Okay. Which do you hit? Right. right. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the thing I hate, of course, is the idea that at the rental counter, you can pay 10 bucks for the self-preservation oh bug. 
Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. If you don't pay, the, you don't the pay robots, 10 bucks. The robots will get good at selling that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, if you don't pay the 10 bucks, it'll take the most neutral, you know, body count. Sure. You know, but if you pay the 10 bucks, <laughs> it waits a little more on preserving the, stuff. The, the low I, liability mode. Oh, so, yeah. you know, and, and, but these things are, you know, we joke, but I, you look at them, it's like, yeah. I don't even know how to resolve. Because you don't fall. Like, sure. Humans are making split decisions that are as much All mechanical as anything. Right. But like when you're actually coding it in, as you're right. saying, like that, that changes the calculus on this. Well, and that's, that's, that's a dire need for ethicists, honestly. Yes. Like, which is, really which true. is a really interesting, I hadn't thought about that until you, that's why we like Roar here. He provokes good thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Because, uh, because that, that's really fascinating when you think about it. Because like the we're just scratching the surface of some of the, the some pretty significant. And what's interesting is you see some of this playing out already in in many of these uh, business decisions that that look sort of like obviously bad choices, like mm. the whole thing about um, the, the airbags and and knowing that they didn't work well, but putting them in anyway because they were cheaper, right? right. So that's kind of an obvious ethical miss for sure. arguably if you really did know that yeah we're yeah. gonna lose a few people but nah you know it's, it saves us 10 cents each sure. so, yeah, sure, sure. and whereas this is way more complicated yeah. because it doesn't feel like there's like a win answer right it's, well, it's, is there even a, a least bad answer to some of these difficulties and and we know that by the tens of thousands People are yeah. people are put in the condition of having to run their machinery for sure on a split second judgment like that, you know, every year, mm -hmm. and they do different things, right? And, and we kind of don't think about it as a machinery question. It's just like that's what people have to do, right? But now we're thinking ahead, right? It's the forethought. You can't you can't impugn the decision in the moment by a human because there isn't foresight in most cases, right. right? You're just reacting mechanically to whatever, right. you it's know. It's an accident. You until, don't have an OS until, that's running. Until that's, the precogs are operational. Right, until right. the precogs. <laughs> right. But yeah, that, I mean, that that is, that's a real, that is the future of work. There are going to be, I think this is the point you're making, Mike, that there are as um, some mechanical jobs and jobs that can be done by robots uh, are phased out. Some higher level, you know, thinking and engagement types of jobs, ethicists, et cetera, yeah, like that. Right. There will be new pockets that are uh, that open for right. new and, types of lines. Of and even extending the the thinking, you know, the the best ethicists in the 21st century will leverage AI in support of their thinking. So they'll be mining the actuarial data. They'll be understanding all the inputs, all the outputs, and they'll be sort of using that to inform their thinking. To me, it comes back very much to, I think it was, I forget which thinker you may know, but the more the, the concept of uh, human computer symbiosis. Yes. And like the notion of the centaur, which is like the, the human who, would, who embraces AI and sees it as a way to sort of augment her impact on the world around her is in a, an advantageous position relative to the pure AI or the more uh, neo luddite human who's saying, "No, John Henry is going to beat that locomotive." Exactly. Meanwhile, the other exactly. one's riding the back of. Uh, exactly. uh, well, and as, as we said, really at the, at the top of the show, uh, that that notion of uh, you know the, the, a collaboration between people and AI, it's it's not just going to be a, a, a choice. It, it's actually going to be how organizations are valuable. Correct. Because that's how you can minimize errors. That's how you can optimize results. Right. And yet at the same time, there are some fundamental things that people do with people mm -hmm. that you don't really want to do without either. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and another thing I was going to say too, that notion of ethicists, it is worth pointing out that even now, some work in social psychology and cognitive psychology People are actually experimenting with artificial intelligence models. 
So if you have a hypothesis about how people react to each other, mm-hmm. um, if it's of the right kind, you can actually try to model it in a network of little, you know, yelling at each other agents who then behave in certain ways. Right. And you can watch them press the nuclear trigger. I mean, you can actually yes. discover, okay, that's not so great. I wonder what else we should try. Would you yeah. like to play again? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to play again? And uh and it's interesting that that notion that uh, you know it's it's not just a, a laboratory thing now. Now you really have to imagine mm-hmm. we're going to run this algorithm out there by the millions. Yes. Now, and the other part of this, it's so interesting, is there's a good chance that yes, there will be tragedies, but the overall total of injuries and fatalities in something like driving sure. is going to drop hugely. Oh yeah, right. 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 That's uh, so, a near certainty. Yes, and so. What's fascinating is to think, how will this play out in the social consciousness? Totally. Because you know a lot of press will focus on the robot killed his grandmother. Sure. Right? The robot car killed his grandmother. Mm -hmm. And won't focus on the fact that we only had 5,000 fatalities last year instead of whatever the tens of thousands there actually are Mm -hmm. now with people all in control. Right. And so, again, that issue of how do we even responsibly let this stuff evolve Mm -hmm. given the way people may think about it and and the way focus of attention may be diverted? I mean, you you were talking earlier, even just about the power of narrative, like there will be narratives about even the, I think it's apocryphal, but one of the first uh, uh, AI driving fatalities I hear people tell me, I hear this on the internet. It might be true (laughs) that, uh, that, uh, the the driver, the person in the car who died, sadly, uh, was watching Harry Potter with the volume very high. So who knows whether it's true or not? Uh, in a sense, it may not matter. But but it is that story is interesting. Where it's like ah, Darwin Award, you know, somebody didn't really know what they were doing. They were sort of at fault, and like that's a hook that'll get shared. Yeah, you know. So it's almost like we're looking for the robot overlord use case Scary and, we're, and we're working we're also looking for like the the idiocracy yeah. example yeah. and it's like the reality is going to be somewhere in between the two yeah. and, and to me what's important is and this is the alternative facts problem right is to try to pull back to say no really what what are the facts around fatalities or problems or whatever so that we can get those in front of us yep. even as we do have to face new decisions around ethics and who's responsible for these things that we've never had to deal with before. Mm-hmm. But it's in a, it should be in the, if, if, if we're right about this, in the bigger context of huge savings of carnage. Sure. Right. So that, that would be the thinking. So yeah. Right. And we're, we're uh, one thing about us here at Trending in Education, we're in favor of avoiding carnage. Right. Yeah, I think we're all uh, of all forms and nationality. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> except uh, for in our March Madness brackets. That's yes. the only place we we promote yeah. carnage here. And so don't, don't forget, you, thank you so much, Bro. Yeah, thanks for this. Was great. fantastic. Uh, open standing invitation. We will make time to speak with you uh, whenever whenever makes sense. Uh, Dan, you wanna you wanna take us and our listeners home? Sure. Uh, you've been listening to Bruce Saxberg, Chief Learning Officer from Kaplan Inc. Find him. Uh, his blog, birdsblog.typepad.com, and find us at trendinged.com, trendinged on Twitter, and trendinged on Facebook. Until next time, thanks so much for listening right here to Trending in Education.